What's up, boys and girls? I am here joined by a legend of the Poker Spirit community, the one, the only Oscar. Uh, Oscar is in many ways the heart and soul of our team at Poker Spirit. And uh, I think he's a big part of the spirit behind Poker Spirit, the namesake itself. So uh, someone I feel good to both invest my money with, but also to hang out and just talk about life with. Uh, I wanted to introduce him to you guys. I think we're going to have a great conversation. And uh, yeah, Oscar, what would you like to tell the fine people about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Oscar. I come from uh, Sweden and I started playing poker back in 2004. Um, started out playing free rolls on Ladbrokes back in the days and uh, worked my way up, I guess, uh, fairly quickly. I had a Big tournament score pretty early in my career. Um, managed to uh, work my way through a couple of sponsors along the way as well, and have mixed both live and online throughout my career, I guess, uh, focusing more on one or the other at different times, depending on what has worked best with life and family. And uh, yeah, eventually ended up with you guys. Very nice. That's funny. I, I hadn't thought about my origins in poker in, in such a long time. You said I started out playing free rolls at Ladbrokes. And I was like, I remember I used to deposit on party poker. And I was certain that you could make free money if you just like you could clear the deposit bonus by folding. So it was like you deposit $1,200 and they're like, we're going to give you $1,200. You just have to play like this many hands. So I had this strategy, like, I'm just going to play aces, you know, and I'll fold everything else. But of course, I can't fold kings. You know, I was a fish. I was a donk. I didn't know how to, like, win at poker, right? And I, I never played cash games. I was playing sitting goes if I played anything. But to clear the bonus, you had to play cash games. So it was like, first, my strategy was just play aces. Then I'm like, okay, I'll play aces and ace king. And I'll play queens. I'll play kings. And, and I'll play jacks. And next thing you know, you're, like, flat and eight, nine suited on the button. And you're, you're just mixing <laughs> it up, you know? And... um my problem, I think, if I if I honestly assess myself at that time was, you know, I tried to win every hand. I thought, like, if you put even a small blind in the pot, then, like, you must win that pot because otherwise you made a mistake to play the hand. So, um, yeah, shit, I, I always went busto before I cleared my deposit bonus, uh, like, every single time. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, poker was, was very uh, different back in the day. So I actually remember um, playing a free roll um was sometime the summer of 2004 uh it was actually my first summer off probably almost in my life because i've been working every summer but i decided to take that summer off before uh going to philadelphia to do my thesis project for my masters <clears throat> and i ended up playing this free roll and like the environment was so different I, like Everybody almost busting out from the tournament was actually railing the tournament to see who who won. And this was a free roll where the like a thousand dollar free roll, I think. I I think I won a five hundred dollars for winning it. And like people were railing and cheering cheering me out on and like saying, "Oh, you busted me!" You know, like I don't know at one hundred and fiftieth or whatever. But I, I hope you win it and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, it's it, it was long. It was very different from nowadays when people hope you get cancer and die instead. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, there's always some negative people in the world everywhere, right? But, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I remember when I when I 
like that when I was doing the party poker deposit bonuses, that was like before I knew learning how to win at poker was possible. Like I didn't know there was training. I didn't know there was education. I, I just, I thought if you just play poker somehow, like smart people eventually win. And probably I was neither smart nor right. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, later in life, I think around like 2008, um, I discovered, I discovered like training sites and stuff because I was, I've become recently unemployed, right? Like I was, uh, I was working for a marketing company and then the financial collapse happened and my job like evaporated overnight. So all of a sudden, like gambling for a living seemed okay because I didn't have any faith in the regular system. You know, I was doing good at my job in line for promotion. I was like, you know, fresh out of college. And then it was just like, hey, guess what? You're unemployed because like, you know, all this stuff happened, you have nothing to do with. So I was like, all right, we're going to reevaluate some things. And I was convinced I was going to make a living on the internet, whether it's a blogger or a writer, or a website, I don't know, affiliate deal, something, some, something, you know, and I wasn't going to go back to uh, another brick and mortar, so to speak. And, uh, and yeah, I started playing these $5 sit and goes on poker stars, like reg speeds. I mean, imagine the hourly at $5 reg speeds. I was one tabling, you know, full focus. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, can't um, be too good. Yeah. I noticed this guy was going all in like, every hand you know like it, we were four-handed right and it was nine person sitting going like he was just going all in every hand so eventually went all in on the small blind and uh i called him with ace three or something you know because i was like this guy is any two cards he had like he had like seven three offsuit you know and we spike an ace on the flop we're all good anyway and like we 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 double up you know he's upset he starts typing in the chat he's like that was like he said ICM question mark. I, you know, uh, it's 2008. I'm playing a $5 reg speed. I'm one tabling in my apartment. You knew what ICM was in 2008. I was like, what's ICM? First? <laughs> I, so I wrote, I wrote ICM question mark, you know? And he said, it's minus EV. So I wrote like EV question mark. And then he said, never mind donkey. And I was like, donkey question mark, you know? I didn't get any of it. So then I did a... I, Go ahead. He thought you were trolling him, I'm sure. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess he thought we're all regs. I don't even think I knew what a reg was. But I did a Google search for ICM, EV, donkey, and poker. You know, like you put the quotes and then you put the ampersand, yeah. like this word and this word. And I came across this training site. It was like Poker X Factor. It's like, you know, it looks like it was built, like if we have Web 3 now, this was built in Web negative 3. Like It was like <laughs> basically like the the back end you would have for your like high school library, you know, it was like MS DOS almost, but it had these videos that taught you how to make money in sit and goes. And it had like this article that promised you can make $10 an hour for tabling turbo $11 sit and goes on full tilt poker with rate back. And since I was unemployed, $10 an hour working from home in 2008 seemed pretty good, you know? So yeah. I, uh, yeah, I basically like bought a, a Windows laptop on a credit card, you know, signed up for Poker X Factor, started watching training videos every night before bed. And, uh, you know, a year later, I was living in Vegas playing poker for a living, making more than <laughs> a job. So, yeah, I did it a little guy, bit, you know, I did it a little bit differently, I guess. Um, like I said, I was playing a little bit of free rolls on, during the summer. Um, I do, I do think I did deposit like 50 bucks a few times uh, 
just to you know try out the cash games as well. But I didn't end up playing that much. But then I went to Philadelphia to get my masters in the pharmacy. But I ended up coming home with two masters, I guess, one in pharmacy and one in poker. Because while I was there, I bought every poker book I could get my hands on, and I I read them all. Um, it was the super system, the, I don't know, like Ace on the River. I don't even remember, like the Harrington on poker. Uh, I, like I read them all, like whatever I found, I read. And uh, not all of them were really good, but I did get, I mean, I did get the fundamentals of ABC style poker down. And that was all you needed back then to just print. So when I came home and started looking for jobs, um, I was kind of unlucky, I guess, because the company AstraZeneca, which was the biggest company, most pharmaceutical company in my city, they just fired like 700 people or something. So you have 700 people with more experience and uh, yeah, longer careers on the market looking for jobs. My chances of getting a job are not that great at the moment. So... What I do, like when I come home to my computer, the first thing, like when I come from the airport, I just turn on my computer, log into a poker site, deposit, and I start playing. And I remember the first week and I come home uh, from Philadelphia uh, to Sweden, I make 1600 bucks in two days. And for me, that was a lot of money back then. And also in comparison to what I would have made starting to work i would probably have made like i don't know like 3k a month or something like that so i immediately you know thought that wow i mean it's going to be hard for me to start looking at jobs to make less than what i think i can now make every weekend playing poker um so i kind of immediately just you know i looked for a job every now and then but i focus pretty much on, on poker and uh, I'm gonna I, I went pretty much straight up like there weren't many downswings in the beginning people were a lot worse back then I guess in general and the rec to rig uh, factor were uh, a lot different as well there were I mean one or two pros or rigs at every table maximum and the rest were just you know happy recreationals so it was very easy to make money back then just playing abc poker <laughs> but then a few late years later that didn't work anymore so was that around like you said that astrazeneca laid off like 700 highly qualified people was that around 2008 like around the same time for me as the financial collapse it was 2005 in okay in february that i came home and it was I, I don't know if it was a month or two before or if, or if it was like that exact month. I can't remember exactly, but it was very close um, to that time at least. So very early, 2005. So like my first year as a real like professional was like 2009. And I remember when I got very good at sitting goes, like I had a similar experience to you. I went, you know, sort of straight up, like no, no big downswings. I went from $5 sitting goes to you know, $500 sit and goes in six months. And I was playing one case and two case by the end of the year, which, you know, is kind of ridiculous, you know, and I'm sure I wasn't properly rolled, but I was winning. And, um, you know, we heard the heyday stories of like 2005 when like Phil Galfond was battling in 5k sit and goes, you know what I mean? With, uh, Andrew Robel and like these kind of guys, like 
I, I never played in 2005, but I heard, you know, as a 2009 reg, they were like, poker's dead. It was good in 2005, you know, because they're always <laughs> saying poker's dead and it was good some years ago, you know? There is some truth to that, I guess. I mean, uh, maybe the format that was once the best format was dead, but in poker, you have to be adaptable. You have to change with the surroundings. When when the recreationals no longer play the same game, you have to play whatever they're playing, right? So uh, you have to be willing to to change. And if you're stuck playing like the same format as you did in 2005, then yeah, you're not going to make the same money. But if you're willing to try out new formats and uh, new games and uh, yeah, are willing to gamble it up, you're still going to be able to make the same money as you could back then, I guess. In a way, I'm kind of glad that the new formats have gone in the direction of gambling it up, you know, like obviously PLO, then five card PLO, because there was a trend for a while that was sort of the opposite. I mean, when I played sit and goes, the strategy was to be a knit and just make it to push yeah. fold, you know, that's what they taught you. And then like they came out with double or nothing sit and goes. It was like a 10-handed sit-and-go where five people got two buy-ins. Right. And I mean, like, I used to work at Subway when I was in college. If you're a professional poker player and you're playing double or nothing sit-and-goes, this is the equivalent of working at Subway as a poker player, you know? This is the yeah. fast food of being a professional poker player. I mean, it's just, it's got to be the least fun variant of poker you could imagine, right? Like, you just fold your way to like six handed and then try not to bust, you know, it's just like, so I, I'm glad that with, you know, the new variance was invo involved more gambling. You know, I think it, uh, it also brings more fun into the game, like more fun players, you know, like you're not going to have hustler live stream with the guys playing a double or nothing sit and go, unless it's for like oh, for sure 10, $10 million, you know, then it'd be sick, you know? Yeah. I have a, Quite funny story, I think, about how my poker career as a professional got started. Um, so, like I said, I came home from Philadelphia and I started playing right away. And uh, like if a month or two in into my professional poker career, whatever you want to call it, since I was unemployed, I a friend of mine who actually introduced me to the game said that he, you know he heard about this thing called Rakeback and he could get us a deal on a different site. So yeah, he, I, I was a little bit slow to jump on that train, I guess, but eventually I, I moved sites and got the Rakeback and uh, like uh, a week or so in into that new site, which was a skin on the micro gaming network back then. Uh, somebody wrote to me in the chat on the table, like, uh, I'm gonna try to catch you on the leaderboard. So I'm like, what leaderboard? I didn't know what he was talking about. And um, so I started asking him in the chat, like, what leaderboard? What are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, the, the Vegas one. And I'm like, what Vegas leaderboard? You know, the main event. And I'm like, no, I don't know. What what are you talking about? So he eventually he just, you know, because you could actually copy and paste the URL uh, of the, the website back then in the chat, which you can't do anymore. But so I just copied that and I read and I saw that I was, you know, on top of the leaderboard for playing the most hands or whatever. And whoever played the most hands in two weeks actually got a, uh, uh, all expenses paid with hotel flights uh, and pocket money and uh, buy into the main event in Vegas. So I was like, whoa, I got to win this now when I'm, when I'm number one, right? So, uh, 
Uh, I was actually just late for for work. I had a an extra job at the, my squash club where I played squash, um, just in the reception. So I was just leaving for that, uh, and I was like, "Shit, I don't really don't want to go and work now." But you know, I I'm I do deliver on what I promised, and I right. I didn't want to call in sick. I, that's not in how I do things. So uh, I went to work i worked for uh, like six seven eight hours or whatever it was and then i came home again in like 11 in the evening i think because uh, we usually get off at 10 30 and when i came home i turned on my computer and i played for th 36 hours straight because i really wanted to make sure that i got ahead <laughs> in this race yeah um so that was i played a little bit in the morning i went to work and then i played for 36 hours and i remember my uh, back then girlfriend uh nowadays wife um she actually stopped by my apartment when i was like i don't know 34 hours or something into this grind and she was very used to me being a little bit tidy you know everything was clean and stuff like that and she came by my apartment and there was dishes all over my little kitchen and you know i was in my robe or something no clothes you know <laughs> probably a little bit smelly in there as well and she was like what the hell's going on does he have a gambling addiction or what's what's up so i kind of had to explain that to her and uh i was actually really nervous because when there was like i don't know one and a half days or whatever left of this promotion i was actually going to paris on a trip with my wife uh or with my girlfriend back then to propose to her so oh, wow. so i really wanted to make sure that i got enough hands in to win this vegas promotion before i left for uh for paris and but yeah it all worked out i guess uh, i won the promotion and i yeah i won her hand as well so <laughs> a good week i guess and how did the trip to vegas go yeah that was the end of the story i guess i managed to come in 14th in the main event um and uh yeah i mean i got to meet all the po my, my back then poker heroes uh you know i got to play with phil ivy double him up or he doubled me up twice and uh yeah um yeah, i mean it was crazy experience uh that was the last year yeah. they they moved to binions for the like final three tables or whatever so i got to go to binions and play as well uh, what year was, was this 2005 Oh man. So 2005 WSOP main event, final two tableists, Oscar Silo on the podcast yeah. with me. Were you For on sure. the coverage? Like, do you have like archives? I guess we have VHS tape of like, you know, Mike Sexton and uh, whatever the other guy, Chad Norman, Norman Chad being like, oh, he's hey, got him. Oh, the Ivy doubles up. <laughs> no, I, w I wasn't on the feature table that much, unfortunately. I um there is a clip of me busting um so they show my last hand and i yeah i kind of take a bow when everybody applauds or whatever and uh um so yeah there's a little bit of that on the espn but not that much um but there was actually a swedish newspaper or tv show whatever that was there and filmed the documentary the same year and they interviewed me quite a bit um and uh, along with a lot of other Swedish poker players. Um, so I got a little bit of TV time there and that documentary has become kind of like iconic in, in Sweden. It's very, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Do you think so, you paid yeah, it's fun to be part reason. of that, I guess. 
you think you paved the way for some of these 22 year old Swedish kids who are like battling at high six PLO? Maybe you created your uh, own bonus? No, I don't want to take credit for that, but uh, yeah, um, I think some some uh, some players got a good laugh at least uh, from looking at the documentary and seeing uh, seeing me in it. So, and how did that affect your your ego? Because to be honest, and I'm being honest here. If that had happened to me, I think in the first year of my career, like I'm living in my apartment, unemployed, you know, out of college, I, I start playing online poker to not have to get a job. Then a year later, I'm making, you know, more money than I've ever made in my life. I go to Vegas. I play the main event, which I've watched only on TV. I get 14th for, I guess it was like a six figure score, you know, like a couple hundred K. Yeah. 400k yeah i mean i would have assumed that next year i'm going to make 1.6 million and win the main event you know or, you know what i mean i just would have assumed it was like look how much i accomplished in one year next year yeah. i'm going to make like you know 10 years from now i'm going to be a billionaire you know like i would have my mind would have gone nuts my ego i i would have not handled it well how, how did you handle it um so first of all i only had 4k in my bankroll when i went to vegas so after spending some on on the paris trip and and the ring for my wife i guess so it was quite the boost <laughs> to my bankroll i uh for sure 4k um, to 400k that's wild yeah um uh, i mean i didn't get to keep the 400k i, I had a, a deal with a friend and i also like a swap and i also had to pay taxes but um either way I mean, it's it's a blessing and a curse. In a way, it's probably like the worst thing that could have happened to my poker career in a way. Because, uh, like you said, my ego got inflated. I thought that I was way better than I was. I started playing some other, you know, tournaments thinking that this is going to happen regularly. It's not something that I'm going to have to work for that much. It's just going to happen every now and then I enter a tournament. So, and I mean, I I think I played the tournament fairly well i don't like i i actually wrote down most of the hands that i played and i still have that notebook and i i looked back at it and i don't have that many like regrets i don't think that i had that many spots that i would have played that much differently today so i think i, I played solid poker but i don't realize how much you know luck there was still involved for me to to you know dodge the setups or whatever like there's luck is not only winning you know, when you're 70, 30 favorite or whatever, it's also not being on the r wrong end of a cooler uh, or against a bigger stack or something like that. So, and I didn't, you know, take all those things into uh, consideration back then for sure. And I just thought that, you know, I, I deserve this. I, I was unlucky not to go further. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that great, I guess. And also, like giving getting the, this boost to my bankroll, I no longer thought it was fun to play the same tables that I played before I left for Vegas, which was mainly like the fifty cent one dollar tables. Um, it just didn't, you know, feel well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're fighting for one hundred bucks on five tables when you just won four hundred, so it's like, eh. Um, so I. I started playing 510 instead. At least I didn't go to 5,000, which some people do. But I, I mean, I, I did go up to 510 and I have to admit that I was probably a spot there for a long time before I started 
you know, winning, uh, with, you know, with rake back and, you know, variants or whatever, I probably managed to break even for a long time. So it's not like I lost, but, um, I wasn't winning. I was, I would probably have made more money continuing to play my lower stakes for a bit longer. Um, but, you know, having the big bankroll boost from, from Vegas, I, it was fine to break even for a year or, or two. Uh, I'm not even sure how long, long of a stretch it was, but I, uh, I just know that I, I didn't make a lot of money. And like, I mean, like you said, I probably expected to, to have another 400 K score the next year or the year after. And, um, when that didn't happen, you know, yeah, I uh, ended up breaking even for two years instead, I guess. At least I had some money to live from, but yeah. It would have been maybe better if I would have had to struggle a bit more uh, during that time, not to have that big score. Um, maybe, you know, if I have a 25K score or whatever instead, I could have paid for, you know, my wedding, my honeymoon, and then... I'm back to square one, right? And if I want a career in poker, I have to fight for it. I have to study. I have to work my way up and do it the right way. Um, and I think that would have been a better path. And I think it is the better path for anybody who wants to make it in poker. So in that yeah. way, I think it's a curse and not a blessing. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's an old expression like, from the alchemist actually my favorite book it said every blessing ignored becomes a curse and uh you know in a way getting 400k is a blessing but in uh you know in a sense we kind of take that blessing for granted when we just you know 10x our stakes because like hey i've got more money now and it doesn't fuel my dopamine anymore you know and now it's kind of uh in a sense a curse because it's caused you to fall off of what would have been good studious behavior but let's be realistic I, I think very few people walking the planet would have continued to play 50 cent dollar but it, it would have been good to i mean i would be impressed by the person who would though you know like they're just like well yeah. it's not like this tournament made me a better poker player at plo you know or whatever i'm playing you know it's not like it made me a better six max cash player so why would i move up there are people that have that mindset and i think it's impressive um but i think it's very rare I, I often talk to poker players and it's like, you know, I've, I've coached, you know, I don't know, 400, 500 poker players over my career. And, um, a lot of them would like, it's so hard sometimes to explain to somebody why they're doing something that's kind of stupid. <laughs> Cause you know, especially as a coach, you got to like lead the horse to water. You got to make them realize for itself. You can't just tell someone like, Hey, that's dumb. Uh, unless you have a high level of like respect and, uh, they, you know, they've kind of told you to to operate like that with them. Um, so, I mean, very often you see like somebody who's like not breaking through and then they're like playing tournaments on the side when they're like a cash game player. And you're just like, why are you doing that? And they're like, I don't know. Like I, I thought this could maybe help me. And you're just like, there's no way that that will help you. You know, like you're trying to get the five ten, you play one, two. If you play Sundays and you play tournaments, that's not going to help you. Cause either it's, you're going to lose, which is not going to help you. You're going to break even, which is not going to help you. Or you're going to win, which is not going to help you. Because the path to 510, if you're a cash game player, is to be 1-2, and then it's to be 2-4, and then it's to be 3-6, you know? And, like, yeah. why you want to shortcut the work? Don't cheat the work, you know? It's like Ryan Holiday, Discipline is Destiny. Don't cheat the work. And when you try to cheat the work, you end up taking longer, and you end up being 
full of imposter syndrome or just actually not good enough when you reach the goal because you tried to leapfrog it, you know? So uh, don't cheat the work and don't be afraid of the work. I think is a, is a good lesson, but, you know, uh, I think in a, in a fun life experience sense, you know, I think the winning 400K, breaking even for a couple of years and then like, you know, finding your footing at 510, I, I would take that, I think, over the like, straight lace one foot in front of the other just because it sounds pretty fun you know it sounds pretty unique and i, I yeah. wouldn't regret it but i i wouldn't coach somebody to expect that's the path they're gonna take you know i mean if you want to guarantee success then do the process that like can't fail you know yeah it's not a regret it was it's more of a reflection uh of how it affected me and my career i guess uh it's it's not an experience i would uh want to trade for anything i i loved it it was uh amazing and it's one of the, the best memories of my life to be honest like it i had a yeah i mean that whole trip was you know i was yeah just walking on clouds it was so much fun and uh also to be able to share it with my with my wife and uh yeah some uh, some friends as well was uh yeah a lot of fun and i mean i had a lot of friends back home they were like trying to search like for all the updates that were available back then, like how I was doing and they were creating groups and, you know, contacting each other and spreading information. So that was kind of cool when I came home too to hear about how they've, uh, you know, been up all night because it's the nine hour time difference, right? Yeah. Uh, to try to follow, follow the action. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Like, I guess in 2009, I played my first main event. And I think I thought, like, probably if I made the final table or something, or like all my friends from home would have like come out, you know, they would have flown out to watch the final table. Whereas, like, now it's 2023. I'll play the main event. I'm pretty sure if I final tabled it, I'm going to get a bunch of Facebook messages and people I haven't talked to in 15 years, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Hey man, I saw you on TV. How's that poker thing going? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny how some people show up when you when they see you have a big score or something. Yeah. I remember I sold action to some of my friends in 2009 and like I've been crushing online. So I think they like just kind of assumed that will continue. And I think I bricked like a 50k schedule. Like I I not bricked, but like I lost like 40k or 50k in my in my first schedule. And I think someone like CTS or some some big shot like Cole South had bought most of my action and like he understood variance and didn't care at all. Um, but like one of my friends had bought like, I don't know, $2,000 and returned like 400. And he was just like, what is this? You know, he's like, he's like, you lost $1,600. And I was like, actually, I lost a lot more than that. And he was like, man, you suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, God. Uh, variance. Yeah, but good times. So I guess we were both mental game fish early in our career. That's fair to say, yeah? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, for sure, I had a lot of mental game leaks. Uh, I'm not even sure when when I really started taking the mental game seriously, but it was probably too too late no, no it's never yeah. too late but it was later than i would have wanted i think it was probably around the time with covid hit uh to be honest um i i mean i had bought some books and i had read like whatever like the jared 
tender books uh, at some point earlier. But that was around the time when I, I don't know, my career had kind of like plateaued. I, uh, I felt that I wanted a bit more. I was also, at, you know, um, kind of like a crossroads in my life in general, I think. Uh, having some... Uh, a little crisis, I guess, in my marriage as well and with the family. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted and uh, what I needed in, from life. And I, my kids were also a little bit older, so they were not as demanding as they were before. And I had a little bit more time to focus on my career, I guess. Because let's just face it, when the kids are are small, like when you have babies, it's it's so, so hard to be a poker player um, and make life work and have balance and whatever structure, like every all the things that you need, I guess. So anyway, during that time, I, I, I just realized that I wanted more and I wanted to do more in poker and achieve more. And uh, I guess Instagram is... Uh, is pretty good sometimes at figuring out what you want, I guess, because for whatever random reason, uh, your Instagram account popped up and uh, I saw this ad for a PLO five card team. And uh, I was like, this is exactly what I want. I, I want to find other players and, you know, have some structure and, and learn how to properly study the game, I guess. Because I've been playing five cards for many years, but there weren't really much, that much study material. And yeah. I mean, you could PPT, you know, hands and do hand matchups and see how the, you know, you can change a card here and there and see how how that changes the equities or whatever. And I did, I did that, but that was probably more than most of my competition did because I was only playing live at the time. Um. But I felt that it wasn't enough, and it definitely wasn't enough if I wanted to like reach the next level. So yeah, I applied for uh, for your team, and yeah, here we are. <laughs> oh, Oscar, I can't believe you never told me this story before. All this time, I thought I was no good at Facebook ads. I thought that like none of my ads ever converted. You know, but, like, <laughs> you know, like. My whole life, I thought, oh, ads is going to be easy. You make an ad for a product. You know, the product costs more than you spend on the ads. You print money. And, like, never happened. And now you tell me, ads brought me Oscar. So, apparently, not all is lost. Apparently, there was some some big uh, big windfalls I wasn't even aware of. But yeah, uh, that's how I ended up with you guys. <laughs> that's funny. You know, also, I, I thought it was funny you said, like, I wasn't really working on my mindset, but I bought, like, Jared's book and stuff. It, it reminds me of, like, Seinfeld where George is like uh I mean probably this is reference I'll get it and maybe you'll get it but maybe a lot of our listeners won't but um George and Seinfeld like he starts getting this therapist who's supposed to help him with his anger management and he says like whenever you get upset you just like take a deep breath and say serenity now you know yeah so he's like trying to work on his mindset but he's not really about it you know George is not going to yoga george is not like waking up getting morning sunlight he's not doing ice baths with huberman you know george is george <laughs> you know george george is like a complainer a neurotic anxious like angry guy and he's not really into all this stuff and uh you know he's like things go wrong in his life and he's like serenity now serenity now 
And at the end of the episode, I think he has this big wallet full of stuff. Uh, and he's trying to close it in a rainstorm and it pops and like everything flies up in the air and all his credit cards, all his money, everything just goes in like puddles everywhere. And he just starts screaming at the sky, like serenity now, serenity now. And that's what I pictured when he said, like, I was a mindset fish, but I had Jared's book. Like, you're like, yeah, God damn it. You know, like I'm unconsciously competent. Yeah, I mean, just reading the book is not enough. You can't just, you know, read it from cover to cover and think that you're, you know it, I think. But I mean, it did provoke some thought, obviously, since I did, you know, start following some mindset accounts, I guess, on Instagram as well uh, and stuff like that. And I, I probably looked for other ways of uh, improving my mindset because um, I, I felt that that's what I needed the most. Uh, and I think both in life and in, in poker and like, to be honest, after joining, uh, I probably, I mean, my mindset has been improved like thousandfold probably, but I feel that I've noticed it more in life than in poker. Um, cause I've improved so much my way of thinking and my way of approaching things and structure and habits and everything that has a bigger effect on on my life and on people around me and my relationships and my screen time and whatever. So, yeah. I want to get into that because you you basically, you talked about some of the problems you were having. Career was in a bit of a plateau, lack of structure and balance, needing some help um, with approaching studying in an effective way, a bit of a crisis in your marriage. You said, like, people are listening and they're like, okay, you didn't have a good mindset for poker. You had early success in your career, you know, then you toughed it out and then things were going up and down for a while, never really worked on mindset. And then you said, you know, my mindset was by far my biggest leak. Like what was wrong with your mindset? Like, so, so someone listening, like, what is it that you were doing wrong that wasn't serving you that someone else might be, oh shit, I do that too. Like, what were the big problems and how were they contributing to these things you described to me that you were struggling with? I think I probably had every mindset leak out there, uh, to be honest. I had no structure. I had no uh, balance. I uh, definitely had like injustice tilt and hate losing tilt. And uh, I don't know, all of those kind of tilts. <laughs> um, I also had a winner's tilt for sure. Because when I I know when I won for whatever couple of times in a row, I thought, hey, this is this is the new me. I've figured everything out, and now I'm going to win this much every session. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I had all the mindset leaks, and some of them were from not understanding variance, maybe, and some of them were from not understanding, I don't know, that I needed to work out to be a better poker player or. Uh, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I I don't know, I probably let poker consume me a little bit too much. And I, I always liked playing more than studying. And I didn't really think of, I, somebody said the other day uh, in a coaching call that we make, we make money when we study and we collect money when we play. And Ooh, I, I like wish somebody... That. And I wish somebody would have said that before. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, I mean, it's an amazing quote. I'm not sure exactly who, who it came from. Uh, I know he said it in the call, but um, 
like I wish I would have heard that way back because I always thought that studying was kind of like wasting time because I just wanted to play. When I play, I make money. When I study, I don't make any money. But what I didn't realize what was that like there's a breaking point when everybody catches up and become better. I was better than, you know, most players for a couple of years and I made really good money. But then eventually everybody who were grinding the training sites caught up with me and who, who were grinding the tools, who got good at poker tracker or hold the manager or whatever early, they surpassed me obviously. And uh, then I, I was the one needing to catch up to everybody instead. So yeah, if somebody would have told me that earlier, I would have been have it. I would have had an easier career for sure. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Uh, I think that's actually one of the things that led me toward mindset coaching was, um, <laughs> you know, when I when I got better at my mindset, I realized how how important it was and how much it held me back. That I just hadn't been humble sooner. For me, was a big one. You know, I, I really I was good, but then I thought I was great. And then I never became yeah. great. And I played in lineups with other people who were actually great. And, and like, I was, it's like, cause I took it so for granted, I could beat the other people who were okay or good. And then I just yeah. kept smashing into my ceiling and not understanding why I didn't win and like blaming variance. And sure there was variance, you know, at times, but other people were stayed curious about the game and like, okay, I learned ICM really well as a single player, but then like, what about, you know, basic post-flop, you know, range construction and knowing who hits which board better and stuff like this. Like I just missed out on a lot because I, I, I succeeded too easily to a level that I was like very enamored with. And yeah, I mean, I wish somebody would have told me you earn while you study and you collect while you play. Cause that would have, yeah. I, I thought I earned and collected when I, you know, won a rake race leaderboard. So I was just grind, 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 you know? Yeah. <sighs> But yeah, so so how did joining the team, how did that help you with these mindset leaks? Like, what was that transformation like for you? Was it painful? Did it suck? Did you enjoy it? Like, was it fast? Was it slow? You know, is it still a work in progress? How, um, do, you, how do you feel about it? I know for, for a fact that I was resisting change in many areas. Um, I thought that I had the answer and, you know, I have been doing whatever I've been doing for 17 years. And I, I mean, for whatever, it has been working in a way because I'm still here and I'm still playing poker and I'm still uh, making money. So uh, why should I do things your way instead, right? <laughs> but, you know, um, eventually I came around in most areas, I think. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not easy to let go of your all your old beliefs and just... Uh, jump into unknown waters you have to i think what what happened at first was that i was pretty overwhelmed uh, i wanted to learn so many more new things i wanted to study so many new things i mean i i wanted to learn all the tools i wanted to study mindset i wanted to study strategy i wanted to you know, meditate, do yoga, ice baths, whatever you like, you name it. There are so many things that I want to do and I can't start doing them all the same, like at the same time. So I have to 
I had to accept that I could only like, you know, add one new habit or at a time or try one new thing at a time. And that I'm maybe I have to spend like a week or two or three or whatever to learn this tool. And then when I, when I'm done with that, I can, you know, start doing something else. I can't do it all at the same time. And, uh, I mean, it was hard because I was at a point in my life where I really wanted to like learn. I wanted to do all of this. I wanted to do all of it now and to have to tell myself that like you have to wait with this because you can't do it all now. It was hard. It was hard to accept that I, that I couldn't do it all now. So yeah, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I still feel like I, I want to do everything I want to do and I want to do it yesterday. Um, I mean, I, I know I'm getting better at seeing when I'm, you know, plotting my own future overwhelm and burnout. So I, I, I step off the gas or I make decisions, but, um, I think a lot of players probably feel that way. Like, yeah, sure. I'd love to work on my mindset, but who has time for that? You know, I got to grind solver. I got to grind, uh, you know, Sims. I gotta, I gotta work on this stuff. That's like real, that's tangible, you know, that like factors directly into my win rate. That's how I think a lot of people think about it. And they think like, oh, sure. I'll, I'll worry about this other stuff. Like, some future time when I'll have more time, which is anyone who's ever grown up and, you know, gotten older and eventually had a family and kids knows you don't have more time when you get older, you have more time when you're younger, you know? So if you don't, if it's not important now, it's not going to be important later, you know, it's going to be overdue. But all that said, I mean, you came to it a little bit later in life, right? And um, it's, you've gotten through a lot of it, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess I did start with some of these things later, later in life than I would have wanted to, but, uh, my, uh, I did start taking one-on-one -on -one mindset coaching pretty early, uh, when I joined and I, that was a really good decision too, I think. Um, and I remember, uh, Michael, he asked me at one point, um, so how long have you been playing poker? I was like 17 years. And when do you think you're going to stop or retire? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably going to, you know, just always play poker. So I, I guess, you know, maybe 60, 65 or whatever. Yeah. So then you're basically in the middle of your career. And that was a little bit of a wake up call to me as well. Cause I, in a way I kind of thought of myself being close to the end of my career. But when I really thought about it, I wasn't as close to the end as I, as I thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then making some of these investments, I guess, in the future made more sense because I actually had more time to collect. So, yeah. Um, and it also made it easier for me to not feel that I needed to do everything now because if I had 17 years to more years to to play and to take advantage of my new knowledge, then I, I wasn't, it wasn't as important to learn everything. Now I had time. So uh, that's very that insightful. Very helpful. I yeah. think a lot of people struggle to take a long-term perspective and, and really just understand that like any investments you make in yourself, they pay dividends over your lifetime. You know, when you invest in your own education, you invest in your own mental well-being, your own ability to schedule your time, your own, um, your habits. I mean, I, I love this quote. You don't decide your life. You decide your habits and your habits decide your life. Um, 
And there's a lot of truth in that. Like a lot of people want to do a lot of things, like mm-hmm. as we just talked about. But if you don't have the habits to support you being a, like a high functioning human being, you're just not going to get to most of your list. So that's one thing I always found is when you when you do more, you can do more, you know, because then you get in that kind of high performance mode, you're able to get a lot more work done. Like it reminds me when I was in high school, I was wrestling, I would like do my homework during lunch because I had to go to the the gym after school before practice. And then I had an extra workout in the evening. You know, it's like I somehow found time in the day to do everything I want to do because I was just in this like high performance. I want to be the best kind of mentality. And when you're in the like, you know, just the not caring about your habits, not caring about your, you know, just like kind of, I don't know what to call it, like the Netflix marijuana poker player. You know what I mean? Like you're just not going to get to all your goals, you know? Um, yeah, you probably had two advantages there And when you were in high school. I'm going to assume like you didn't have... Well, you didn't watch that much TV, I guess. And you also didn't have a smartphone, which are very time-consuming, both of those things. So it's so much easier to structure your life and find time if you make those things less or make those, yeah, use those things less in your life, I guess. Uh, And I watch a lot less TV now. And I, yeah, I try to use my phone as little as possible, uh, at least for social media which is not very social. <laughs> it was but. it was super conflicting for me for a while cuz I uh, my number one channel where I attracted clients was through Instagram, right? It's how I kind of yeah. got all the original members for our team and uh you know, when I was attracting mindset client coaching clients through Instagram, but then literally like the first thing I'm teaching is like never use Instagram (laughs) uninstall the app like uh when you wake up in the morning don't touch your phone for two hours before you go to bed don't touch your phone for at least one hour you know um so I'm like on the tool making stories trying to like hook people but I'm like trying to I try to like do all the things to grab people's attention to then like get them out of the pool you know and and, like the first thing I'm going to help people with is like not being on Instagram and like not having segmented attention and actually having a plan, having a schedule and all this stuff. So it was quite funny for me because I, I felt a little bit hypocritical at times because I, but I also felt like all these people clearly need me because like, you know, I can see the green light. They're active, you know, they're, they're here on Instagram, you know, with nothing better to do, which you should have something better to do than to be on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's actually one of the things I'm really happy about making a podcast. To me, this doesn't feel like, the same kind of thing you know this is this for me is like very much more a deep and meaningful conversation which is much more my vibe than i don't know stories and reels and i don't want to play the the tiktok tadpole game you know like i want to i want to talk with smart people about smart things you know yeah i agree all right so you said you came to you said you came to some of these mindset things in poker a little bit later in life. What do you find has been different about being on this team than you might've expected like coming in? Cause this was your first experience joining any kind of a, a poker team. Yeah. I th- yeah. I mean, I, I've been part of uh, some live teams, I guess, traveling and playing some tournaments, et cetera, but that's really not the same thing, I guess. Um, 
so when I came, when I joined, I honestly thought that, um, or I wasn't sure where it was going to give me, and I wasn't sure if I was going to stay there that long. I thought that, you know, I'll come in and see what they have to offer, maybe get a couple of coachings, and, you know, six months later, I'll probably be on my way, do my my thing again. Um, I think I've been with the team for more than two years now. Um, uh, so I guess that didn't uh, didn't end up as I thought. Um, um, uh, so many more benefits from this than I than I thought. I guess. Um, first of all, it's not just you know strategical coaching, which I was looking for. It's like the whole package. It's uh, strategical coaching. It's mindset coaching, but it's also like we discuss and attack everything in life. Like you can get, get help with software. You can get help with, uh, you know, choosing the best monitor for your setup. You can get help with the best fitness app or tracker or whatever and suggestions for what to do when your shoulder is sore because you've been, you know, using the mouse too much or whatever. Like you can get help with everything. I mean, I, I even made a... Uh, coaching video on how to make overnight oats, right? So, like, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what I'm saying it, is that, say again, Julia wants to watch that by the way. She, oh, okay, nice in need of a new breakfast option. Nice, um, yeah, so yeah, like, basically, I can, it feels like I can turn to the team for anything. Um, we can help each other with, you know, where to travel for poker how to work out, what to eat, you know, relationships, whatever, like, and since there's not that many of us, like we get to know each other and we, it feels more like a family to me than it, than, uh, than a stable really, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, since it is more like a family feeling, you, you, we do share pretty personal stuff with each other, I guess. And we kind of help each other to become better in, in every possible way. And I'm very sure that I would not have been the same person or poker player if I would not have joined this team. So many good things have come out of it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think it's like, it's like a poker community and it's also a personal development community. And it's also like yeah. just a close knit community of like friends and it's like, I want to say it's a family and I feel like it's a family and it's my family, but at the same time, I mean, you can't get help with this kind of thing from your family most of the time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, uh, I don't think if you go to your family and you're like, Hey, I'm having this problem in my relationship, like, you know, like I don't know. Um, I don't think families even, to be honest, are that often this supportive, uh, unfortunately, you know, I think the perfect family, you know, is maybe. But I mean, I think families in reality often have, a, you know, some challenges and some dramas and things like this. And I think we, we steer, I mean, I guess we're like a family because we occasionally have our own stuff too. But, you know, I, I feel like I would, I would rather ask our family, our poker family for monitor advice than, than my own family. I don't think they would have a great opinion on the Dell 42 inch versus the Samsung Odyssey 9X or whatever, <laughs> right? We've been talking They're about probably week. right about that. And like, I guess 
I think one of the things that makes it feel so much like a family is the level of, in addition to studying together, it's like our guys, everyone keeps a blog. And when you keep a blog, you're not just sharing hands that you played, but you're sharing about your journey as a poker player. You know, everyone knows what stakes everyone started out at. And like everyone is happy for every for other people when they first break into like one, two and can like make rent money every month, you know? Like we get to like yeah. kind of watch those stories. And one thing that's really cool about Poker Spirit is like, kind of like when you and I came up, it was a different time in poker, right? You were able to start out and like be crushing in a year. Then poker got harder. For most people, it takes like a long time to become like competent at poker. But because we're playing a new format, because we're playing PLO five card that a lot of, it's not that new, but like people still aren't good at it. We have those stories. We had Thomas start out playing four cent, eight cent. And in a year he was playing 2550. I mean, that's, that's that's nuts. I, I think that like, that might be a one in a million story. So we've seen a lot of guys though, just come in at PLO 20, you know, playing 10 cent, 20 cent or whatever. And then they're playing two, four or three, six in a year. And that's like pretty common for us. So in some ways, like getting to watch each other's journey and like be a guide, be a cheerleader and then see the other people's success and then see pictures of their family and the, the vacation they took their parents on with the money they made playing poker in our team. Like those for me are the things that make it feel like a family, you know? Yeah, another thing I want to add to that is, uh, I mean, we have players from all over the world uh, on our team. And, uh, I mean, during the last year, we've had players from Turkey experiencing uh, an earthquake, from Iran experiencing a revolution, and from Ukraine experiencing a war uh, and getting invaded by Russia. So, to me, it's it's it made those conflicts and those things like those events more real. And it made like the world a little bit smaller, I guess, in a way, because just hearing about this on the news, it's so easy to distance yourself from these conflicts and think of it as some, that's something that's happening somewhere else and I'm not affected by it. But when your friends on the team are, you know, really being affected by this, you are also being affected by it and you feel the like you feel their pain and their suffering and their struggles so um that's been um that was kind of like an unexpected knowledge or experience for me i guess um to but it's also something that i feel that i've gained from from this um cuz i i do feel that it's made my perspective and uh, worldview a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, In a lot of ways, poker has helped my worldview. I mean, if I didn't travel for poker after Black Friday, my view of the world when I was 23 years old, grew up in America, was shit, to be honest. I mean, like, I I just was of an opinion, like, I don't know, America's the best place in the world because that's what they tell you, you know? And, And then when I actually started living outside the country and seeing more of the world living in Europe for eight years, you know, like living in Mexico, living in Canada, living in Australia, I've been around and I started to really learn about the world in a way I wouldn't have, but still like if I hadn't been to a place, it's, it's, it's maybe it's just like a biological thing in the human mind. But if I haven't been to a place, 
it doesn't feel real to me, you know? Um, if a lot of people in America have never been out of the country and like hearing stories about what's going on in, in Ukraine or whatever, like, it, it just feels so far away. Like what I understand the perspective of people who don't want to care about it because for them, they think it's like literally another world. But when you've been around the world and you've been to these places, I mean, it's so different because you're like, no, this is a real place. and This shit's really happening. Um, yeah. For me, I mean, I, I've been to Ukraine several times and I even given a, like my biggest ever public speaking I did in Ukraine for like 500 people at a digital nomad conference. So for me, I think that one always would have hit pretty close to home, you know, because it was like, I have friends from there, but yeah, I mean, it, like for Iran, for example, like if we didn't have a player who experienced that conflict, like it would have just been news on a screen, like something terrible happening yeah. in a place in the world I've never been to. Um, and, and yeah, you know, like, just seeing like having people in different places and you know going through these like the humanitarian crisis like with the earthquake in turkey and this kind of thing like it really having a friend there it changes everything you know yeah for sure you know all of a sudden something that you would have changed the channel on you're reaching into your pocket you're donating money you're asking how you can help like it's just and, and people will criticize you for that like oh why do you you know you only care about the the things that I don't know, like the victims that you resonate with or whatever, but like, it's just, it's human nature, you know, like it, it, it opens your compassion when you, when you know more people. And I think that's yeah, the big advantage is like knowing more people from around the world. I mean, I think a lot of um, poker communities, they're different in a lot of ways than ours, but I think one big difference is many of them are like very one, like one national group, you know? like poker players bond together of the same country. And I understand that sometimes with language that's necessary, but I think one advantage we have is like basically anyone who speaks English can join us in any country in the world. And like, we have, I think like 37 flags or something at the moment, which is nuts because we cool. don't have, we only have like 50 people, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's with staff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, and it's definitely cool to read in the blogs and see about, different people's culture and like, you know, what they do in different parts of the world and, you know, the good, the bad, all of it. It feels like a more full experience of life, you know? I want to share a story um, from what you said there about getting perspective from traveling, et cetera. Um, Cause I agree with that a lot. Like the more you travel, the more you see of the world, uh, the more you understand different cultures and different people, et cetera. But um and poker has uh, made me travel like all over the world. That was one of the benefits, I guess, from being sponsored early. I I didn't always choose like the most popular poker destinations, but I choose the most interesting ones from and the most yeah the most special countries, I guess, that I wanted to go to. And uh, I did one trip to Tanzania to play poker, uh, which is not the first country you think about when you think poker, but um they had some smaller tournament event at the i think it was a hotel actually um and when we were there um mostly coming from traveling you know in europe and in uh the states and in australia stuff like that before a little bit in asia i had a different like perspective of traveling in the first place so one of the first things I remember asking uh, 
at the hotel was like, so what are the sites? What should we go see here in the city? And they didn't really have like any sites. It wasn't like the same, you know, when you go to Paris or whatever, you want to see the Eiffel Tower. Tower, And when you go to, I don't know, New York, you want to see the Empire State Building. But they didn't like have any of that to to see really when you were in Tanzania. They didn't even have asphalt when I was in Tanzania. And I remember asking somebody where McDonald's was. And they never heard about McDonald's. They didn't know what it was. They didn't have a McDonald's. And that was also like eye-opening for me. Like they didn't, they don't even know what McDonald's is. Like there's nobody from the Western world who doesn't know what McDonald's is. I mean, you can, you can hate McDonald's, you can love McDonald's, whatever, but everybody knows what McDonald's is. So that was a little bit uh, eye-opening for me as well, I guess. Um, but the most uh, funny story about that trip was one of my friends, uh, also from Sweden, he and his girlfriend uh, walked around the city and they uh, started chatting up this uh, um, local guy and he showed them around the town. And uh, they actually invited him back to the hotel and it was like a pretty nice hotel and they had like guards and stuff and there was no way they would let any locals in there if he wasn't invited by by them but he was invited in and he was watching us play poker and stuff like that and I mean he was he was a student uh, but he was I mean he was poor um, so you know he was watching us play poker for a bit and whatever and then you know they put out the buffet for us to eat and uh I mean, I I just asked him, you know, you wanna you wanna have dinner with us? And he was like, you know, it was looking around like, you know, I was like, don't yeah, we'll we'll pay, of course. And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I really want. <laughs> so he ate with us. <clears throat> he took his like small plate, and I remember all of us Swedish guys were standing there and like, yeah, what do you think about the food, whatever? And like everybody was like, yeah, it was so so, and you know, everybody was like complaining a little bit. It wasn't that great, you know, whatever. And then we turned to him, his name was Lucas, and we say, so Lucas, what do you think about the food? And he took like a, a pause. And he was like, it's not every day you can eat like this. And we all got so humbled and, you know, we felt like a little bit of a bitch slap, you know, to our face. Like, here we standing bitching about this buffet and it's not every day he can eat like this, right? So, yeah, and I mean, he went for seconds and thirds and whatever, like he cleaned out the buffet, but I mean, just enjoy, man. Yeah, I'm so happy for him. And he, yeah, he came back the next few days as well and, you know, had dinner with us and whatever. But yeah, um, it was a very humbling experience to to stand there and complain about stuff that for somebody else is, you know, maybe a once in a lifetime meal. So. Yeah, I mean, hedonistic adaptation is a bitch, right? We get we get used to things, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because oftentimes it can just make us really unappreciative people. Like people think, yeah. like you know, gratitude practice is lame or whatever, but like, unfortunately, it's necessary. Unfortunately, like if you don't try to be grateful, unless you, I don't know, I think for a lot of us, you'll end up being a bit of a prick. And, and it's like you know, we we have to remind ourselves and. and really make an effort sometimes to be, to be thankful for all that we have, you know, because your mind is, you know, conditioned for survival and can conditioned to like always seek more. 
And if you don't do something to counter that default programming, you just kind of rob yourself of a greater opportunity for happiness, I think. Yeah, I agree. If Lucas spent, spent enough time at that buffet, eventually he'd complain about it too. <laughs> the other buffet has crab's legs, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I thought we could end with maybe uh, a fun story because that was a bit of a, a deep and make you think one. Um, I'll go first because I, I think we've both been around the block. Like we've had uh, we've had pretty long careers. You know, we, we've been playing poker since before 2010. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen some shit that like, I don't think the people, like, I have stories about people that wouldn't have survived long enough in today's games for people to, like, observe these stories. You know, there was a lot of funny stuff that happened back in the day. I mean, when I lived in Vegas for the first time in, like, 2009, I lived in a, in a huge house with seven other poker players. Nobody had a job. I mean, to give you an idea, I, my parents wouldn't let me have a trampoline growing up because I thought it was dangerous. So when I moved to Vegas and I rented this like, you know, ridiculous mansion, the first thing I did was buy a trampoline and put it in the center of the living room. You know, that's the level of like maturity that we had at this time. So what you're saying is that Phil Galfond was not allowed to have slides when he was a kid. Probably not, you know. Uh, did you see that is like New York's most unfun uh, man buys New York City penthouse and removes slide? Oh, really? Was, no, that was the headline because somebody oh, bought okay. Phil Galfond's apartment that had a slide in it and literally removed yeah. the slide. It's like, of yeah. all the apartments you could buy, why would you buy the one with a slide? <laughs> uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to play this game at the arcade called Top Skater. It was like a Sega 1990 game where you stand on a skateboard and you go down like a half pipe and you like literally kick this skateboard to, to do the tricks. And it was like a dollar to play. And uh, my allowance when I was a kid was five bucks. So I can only play five times. And that's if I spent my entire week's allowance on this game. So, you know, more than likely I'd play like one or two games a week. And it was a highlight for me. Uh, so eventually, I think after I won an F-Tops for like 60K, I decided to buy this thing. So I went on eBay and I found uh, Top Skater. And I, and I ordered it. It was $2,000, right? Which at the time I think was probably like 2% of my bankroll, which seemed like no big deal, which obviously spending 2% of your bankroll on a video game is probably pretty dumb. But, um, you know, tell that to 24 year old or 23 year old James. Um, so we ordered Top Skater and this thing arrived in a huge crate. It was two tons, weight, two tons, you know? Wow. And they just left it on the steps. Like we had to like drag it into the house, like over the marble and try to get it into the room. And like, you know, it was one of those things like, it was a stupid purchase, but it was like a cool story, you know, like just that we had this every day I woke up and I saw this like huge, it was huge, like you stood yeah. in it, you know, and I just every day I sit like when I would play it, I, you know, I play like one game a day and just be like, this was like my MTV Crips, you know, it was like my thing, like as a kid, I dreamed about like, oh, I want to play this game, it's too expensive. And now I have it in my house. Like I felt like I'd, I'd made it, you know what I mean? Like, forget about it. the game sucked. Uh, it turns out there was only one level. Uh, or, so, like, you, you, once you beat the level, like, you could play the other one. But that was it. It was, <laughs> like, there was one other level besides the basic level. And it was soundtrack was one song. It was a Pennywise song that I liked, but it was literally one song. So every game you played had the same soundtrack. It, it wasn't actually that amazing a game because it was made in 1990. But I feel pretty good about it. 
I feel pretty good about the, that purchase looking back on it. I was not able to recoup my investment after Black Friday. Like after Black Friday, we had to leave the country. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't pay someone to take it away. I just accepted not getting my deposit back and left it there. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a tough sell. Yeah. It's a pretty cool story though. And I think uh those kind of things are important, I guess, to I mean to yeah, to splurge a little bit and to feel that you've been successful or that you accomplished something. Uh, yeah. Treat yourself I was, a little bit. I was lucky though that I could be like an idiot and still be playing poker today, you know, if that makes sense. Like I had enough time and enough ability to carry me to the point where I eventually stopped being an idiot and like matured. Um, I think some people like weren't so lucky. I mean, I had a couple of roommates when I was living in this house and they used to gamble on everything. I mean, they were both serious degenerates, you know, they were successful like tournament players at the time or whatever, but I mean, they would, we'd be in a car going to get sushi and they'd be gambling on if the stoplight was going to turn red by the time we got to it. And I'm driving and one of them's yelling at me, like, slow down. The other one says, speed up, you know? I mean, we were just, I guess this was the vibe that we had at the time, you know, like everybody's young, everybody doesn't have a job, everyone's making money on the internet playing poker. Um, and, and I mean, one of the guys had like sort of the quintessential story of success too early. He, he basically deposited $200 on uh poker stars and started playing heads up plo with 200 dollars, you know like just bought into one two with the full amount three weeks later he had 70k wow. and then by week four he had zero yeah of course so like this just ruined him because he always thought if he can just get somebody to loan him 500 bucks he could like run it up again and have like a five-figure bankroll six-figure bankroll so no matter what went right for him eventually he would just decide, well, if I could do it with 200, I can do it with whatever I have now. And he would go broke. And I don't know how much money he ended up owing me. Uh, like the last time I saw him, I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I'm pretty sure that that's no good. But um, I mean, you know, he owed everybody. And uh, I'm trying to think what it was that was the funniest thing about him. Oh yeah. One of our roommates wanted to help him out, like really wanted to see him on his feet. Well, we all did. We liked him. Right. But he was clearly like a serious degenerate gambler. And, uh, one of the guys agreed to stake him because he's actually a pretty good tournament player. I think he'd won the Sunday million like twice, but he was still broke. Oh wow. Um, and so a friend agrees to stake him, but like, he's worried that he's not going to play the games he staked for. He's supposed to play like the $3 rebuy MTTs or something, but you know that like, as soon as the backer goes to bed, he's going to fire up like the heads up PLO tables and, and dust the bankroll. So like my one roommate who's very responsible and like was trying to help him out. He's sitting there. He's a supernova elite. He's got like 18 tables up of like three, six to five, 10 on two Dell 30 inch monitors on the third monitor. He's got our roommate up, like just team viewing, watching his tables to make sure he's not playing any like high stakes PLO. <laughs> Uh, and the other guys uh, downstairs, you know, playing and watching NBA and betting on the sports and like going broke. So it was, it was, uh, it was some DJ stories, you know, it was, uh, it was a good time, but. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, that story makes me think of, uh, how important it is to surround yourself with people that want to accomplish 
and share your goals. I want to accomplish the same thing you do and, and share your goals. Cause I think throughout my poker career, I've, I wouldn't say that I've been unlucky or choosing the wrong friends necessarily, but in a way I have, cause none of the friends that I had took poker seriously enough or they ended up quitting poker for whatever reason or I was friends with some DJs as well I guess and like when you surround yourself with that kind of people it's hard to to accomplish anything I guess and that's also something that I've noticed is a huge difference now and when I'm in this stable like you are surrounded by, by people that are highly motivated and share your goals and they not only in poker but in life in general so we, when everybody's working towards the same they have the same mission it's so much easier to to help each other benefit from the relationship um so yeah that's 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 what i heard in your story i guess uh my main takeaway um because yeah. i've been on many poker trips with people um uh, like that I'm friendly with that are great people, but not necessarily the best people to bring uh, or to travel with. If you want to go on like a poker trip and take it seriously, if you want to go on a, you know, poker trip, play some poker and have a lot of fun and go party a lot, maybe it's the right kind of people, but then you don't accomplish the same thing. Um, I remember when I, like I've been in Vegas many times now, but I think the first, I don't know, maybe eight, nine times, I don't think I played much cash game at all, uh, but I was a cash game player. So I'm not sure why I didn't play cash games, but it was probably because I basically like doing Vegas, hanging out at the pool, going partying. Uh, I, I played a tournament, like it, I, was, I was always playing the main event, but I was never really a tournament player. And that's also like something I could have done better. I think I could have taken that tournament more seriously and probably had better results um but yeah surround yourself with the right people i think is very important in general yeah i mean i think for a lot of my career i always kind of like saw the entertainment value and i'm empathetic toward people that didn't have their shit together and then i had like yeah. the people who i kind of respected their game more and would actually like um like talk more strategy and, and more serious topics with but over time I think, especially probably just as the game's getting harder, I started to shift toward like tightening my standards for my circle a lot. You know, you have a couple of bad experiences too, and it makes you, you know, yeah. realize like your your roommate who was funny and like made you laugh a lot when he moves out, he owes you twenty k, and you're like, well, maybe I could have seen that coming, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's a big reason. Like when I when I started this team, like why I chose Ryan as like the the head coach. You know, I had a lot of people I could have thought about choosing, you know, but I just chose someone who I thought had a really high standard, you know, and really like hard work ethic and like, just like the right vibe, you know, like I thought with the place that I was at in life and the place that he was at in life, like, and then what we would kind of build together, it would be the right environment for other people to be highly successful. You know, he is a highly motivated, um, high six player, I was a highly motivated mindset coach. And I thought if we put our heads together, we can create an environment where people are basically just kind of, you know, destined to succeed. 
Um, yep. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people I like that I, you know, but I, I wouldn't necessarily want to stake them, you know? Um, so, yeah. Should we end on that note or do you have another story for us? Oh, you wanted a story for me as well. Uh, I, I don't know. It could be a DJ story, but it could be a feel good story. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, putting me on the spot here. Trying, I mean, I, I've obviously had lots of different poker experiences. Yeah, I guess I can tell this story. It's kind of fun. Um, or maybe not fun. Maybe not so fun. I'm not sure. But um, I was playing, a, I was at an EPT stop maybe 2007 or 2008 or, so, or something around there. And there were three Swedish high stakes players that were sharing a suite. And uh, they met some, I don't know, German businessman or whatever in in the uh, some of the games in the casino and they took the game upstairs. And he insisted that his uh, friend uh, should deal the game and uh, yeah. So they let him and they took turns playing him at its heads up. And while they're waiting for their turn to play in the in the game, I remember they were throwing banana peels closest to something on the floor for like 10k a throw and stuff like that. <laughs> like I mean, they were like totally bored and I mean they definitely were a little bit on the degen side, I guess. Um and I was railing a little bit, you know of the game and of the uh, yeah of their banana peeling throwing as well but uh, yeah i called it a night early i guess and i heard the day after that it got cleaned out by this uh german businessman and i think they lost like i don't know 200k or something um and actually i had to like i, rem I remember um they actually had to like leave their watches or whatever to him because they didn't manage to get all their money together because they had all their money in their poker accounts like proper live game fish <laughs> but uh yeah i heard or they heard or whatever somebody heard at least like a few years later that he had been uh traveling the circuit and cheating players so they were cheated by this guy and uh, yeah, yeah. i mean the first two things that pop into my head is like if for sure if he says my guy's got a deal that guy's a mechanic right yeah yeah for sure um and, and i guess second is uh 200k is not that much to lose i would think between three people who would play 10k uh, for banana week for banana yeah. you know i mean i would imagine i've seen some heads up sit and go graphs that are pretty sick in buy-ins and i gotta think the edge and throwing banana peels is i mean it could potentially could be a lot bigger if you're really athletic or really good with a banana peel you could diddy kong or yeah. donkey kong you know but um I would think that the swings in 10k banana peel throwing is uh yeah, it could be like millions, you know. Okay, it could be like you can get down yeah. 50 buy-ins, right? 500k. Yeah, they didn't take it that far. Uh I don't I mean I, I there were no big money being exchanged from the banana peel in throwing, but I heard stories about them doing that kind of like the same thing in the in the Bahamas when they were instead of throwing water bottles in trash cans and stuff like that. So it's obviously like a theme among them, I guess, to to be a little bit on degen. But there were a lot of more of that kind of stuff going on back in the days than there are now. Nowadays, you hardly ever hear stories like that anymore. Like the most people gamble these days, I think, is like credit card roulette at the restaurant or something like that. Yeah. But that's a I good mean, thing, I guess. 
Yeah, credit card roulette. You always win when you're on an upswing and losing you're on a downswing. That's that was my experience back in the day, at least. But. Yeah. You have to All ask right. uh, ask my Swedish friend uh, another day what he thinks about the credit card roulette. Or we played the donkey flip. There's an app within where you flip a coin, and there's a happy donkey and a sad donkey. You can oh, ask yeah. him what he thinks about that. Uh, he lost every every flip for a week when we were in Dublin playing the Norwegian Championship. Is that Miguel? <laughs> no, Jim. He lost every oh, every okay. flip. So he, he paid for all dinners for a week. <laughs> I actually I actually paid for one just because I felt sorry for them after I binked the tournament or whatever there. So <laughs> we had a guy that um it was always his idea to play. He was the guy who won all the money off my other buster roommate, right? He liked it. he yeah. was a professional golfer and he played poker and it was always his idea to gamble on things. He was actually the compulsive gambler of the group, but he didn't understand variance, which was crazy because he was a tournament player for a really long time. Um, but he lost, like, we would go to, like, all-you-can-eat sushi, and, like, he would, if he lost two flips in a row, he'd be irate. And he lost three, and he was, like, refusing to drive home, you know? He's, like, he's just child, you know? So, yeah, a lot of people who didn't understand variance who are no longer playing poker, you know? So, I guess I could share another little feel-good story. Uh, at least it's a feel-good story to me. Um, the banana peels that... made me feel good. <laughs> God, that made me laugh, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, as you know, I, I faced some uh, health problems uh, last year, and they actually found a tumor on my kidney. And um, I know like a couple of years ago, I would have been completely devastated i would have felt like my life is over i would have had all these emotions been super scared or whatever but now when i got the news i didn't feel that much i felt like okay so what can i do like what's the next step and to me that was a receipt of all the mindset training that i've done like that it actually worked that i could focus on what i could control that i did not get carried away with emotion that I just thought about like what's what's the next step so what can I do and I was actually ready for whatever outcome it would be like I was I was basically just you know thinking about like all the different outcomes and what I would do if it was you know worst case scenario versus best case scenario and I felt ready for for whatever and that was actually really nice feeling not to not to be that worried and not to be that you know affected by by it and uh, I guess it's also a little bit natural when you grow a little bit older that you um, you realize that death is a uh, natural part of life <laughs> as you get closer to it but uh, uh, in no way do I want to I'm just saying that I was um, I felt good to be uh, to be able to focus on what was important and to what I could do rather than how unfair life is. <laughs> right. I don't think there's any bigger, I mean, I take no credit, but at the same time, it's like as a mindset coach, there's probably nothing you could be more proud of than knowing that, you know, the work in your field has has helped somebody through something like that, you know? Because when I got into it, it wasn't because I really wanted to help poker players make more money, you know? It was because I was, when I was successful in poker, I still wasn't very happy. And I had a lot of life leaks 
And um, when I kind of worked through my shit, my, I became much happier. And then I wanted that for other people. I wanted to show people like, Hey, you know, you're so concerned with getting to the next highest stake. You should focus on this because you'll be way happier than whether you're playing 5, 10, 10, 20, or 25, 50, if you just solve this, because trust me, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, to see it tested at the, it's like, we hope not to get tested at that level. And a, and a few of our guys on our team have been tested at that level this year and, um, or similar levels. And just to see it hold up is, uh, I don't know, all the, all the proof you could ask for, you know, it's, um, means a lot. You should definitely take some credit. I mean, it, I have gone through the, your whole mindset course. Uh, I also worked with Michael one-on-one, obviously. And I mean, both things have been incredibly helpful to to me, like I said, both as a person and to my poker career. So, well, In that case, I trained Michael. I'll take all the credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well... I guess that's our podcast. It was kind of a, a unique um, interspersement of like degen stories and like deep and meaningful mindset moments. So I hope that that both uh, is fun and interesting to listen to and uh, in some ways helpful. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank I you, so Oscar, too. for sharing so much. nice talking your... to you. Thank you for sharing your story with us, uh, all your stories. I, I learned a lot about you today and that was quite fun for me. I've known you for two and a half years and I didn't know a lot of this stuff. So this was really fun for me. And uh, yeah, I hope to have you back on the podcast sometime in the future to, you know, tell more DJ stories. Sounds good. All right. Cheers guys. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.